If you have your Bible with you this morning, can you turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 16? And today we're reading from verse 5 through verse 16. John chapter 16, beginning at verse 5. Many of you are aware that over these last few Sundays together, we have been spending our Sunday mornings exploring together the Gospel of John. And it is, as you know, a remarkable book. And over these weeks, certainly most of March, we have focused on Jesus in the upper room, speaking to his disciples, teaching them as they move from the upper room towards Gethsemane. And as we come to John 16, most New Testament scholars will tell us that what is about to take place takes place right there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Earlier in the evening, Jesus has told his disciples that he must leave them. And they naturally express their feelings of abandonment. And in fact, at one point they say, Lord, we will feel like orphans. And where are you going? And so that conversation ensues. And so as we come to chapter 16, that's the contextual backdrop of our passage today. John 16, verse 5. Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is not for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. In regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me. By taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me again. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us. This reading from his holy word. Now this morning as you are joining us for this online service, let me say on your behalf a warm thank you to our camera operators, those who are helping with audio, our worship team who have done such a superb job this morning. And they have been working, as you can imagine, all sorts of hours to make this happen. So we are very grateful to them and grateful for your prayers for them. If you have a moment this week, please be praying for them. They participate in what is a vital link for us as we provide this service to you. So thank you for your prayers and thank you for being with us. Of course, each one of us are very conscious of all that's happening in our nation 
Children are off school, of course. Restaurants are closed. Churches are closed. The coronavirus is dominating much of our thinking and conversation. But when folks are self-quarantining and not going out as much as they often do, you have time on your hands. And for some of you and the emails I've been receiving this week, it's pretty clear that some of you are having a little mischief with all this time. And last week, Ruth and I invited the two wee girls who live across the street. One is nine, she's grey, the other is five, and she, her name is Kate. And so Kate and Grey came over for story time. And in essence, that means we play with Legos on the floor, we read books together. And of course, their favorite is Ruth. And of course, they refer to her as Miss Ruth, and she is their favorite simply because she purchases their emotion by feeding them candy and snacks. And how on earth I can compete with that? I simply can't. So they're very fond of Ruth. And before they came for a visit, their dad sent me a text. And it said, Richard, I hate to ask, but does anyone in your home have any symptoms of the coronavirus? And of course, he was naturally concerned about his children. And I was able to text back and say, no, we are all well. We are being careful and prayerful and keeping our distance and trying to put in place the measures that everyone else is as well. But when I went across to pick them up, I thought I could have a little fun with this. And so I dressed appropriately. And there you will see I have on my heavy coat and hood and a bright green vest so everyone could see me. And of course, I had on a surgical mask. And when I arrived at their door to pick up the children, of course, the children laughed and mom and dad and they came over and we had a wonderful time. And so this week, not only have I been having a wonderful time with it, others of you have as well. And here is an email I received on Thursday with the accompanying photograph. And you will see, here is a man in his kitchen. He has two dogs. One of the dogs is looking up to him for a little guidance. And the caption that came with it said this, that the dog on top of the cabinets is saying, no, I will not come down. We have walked 20 times already today. Please leave me alone. And I think those of us who have dogs and pets will understand exactly what's going on there. And so we have had fun with all of that taking place. And this morning, as we begin to move into this passage of John, that's the backdrop we have. Grady, I'm looking for a blank screen. If you can provide me with that, that would be great. And as we come to John chapter 16, you know the backdrop. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. His disciples are concerned. They are filled with questions. They are anxious where Jesus is going. They're concerned. They won't ever see him again. And they have that sense that I mentioned earlier of being orphaned and abandoned. And here in chapter 16, when he sits down with them in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says to them these words, Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, Where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. 
It is for your good that I am going away, and unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. Not only were the disciples grieving, losing the presence of Jesus, but I imagine in their mind they were filled with questions. And if I was to put myself in their shoes, I think I would entirely understand what they're feeling. I think any of us would. And in their mind, I can hear them saying, but Jesus, why would you leave us? You are everything to us. We love you. You have been our closest companion, our deepest friend over these last three years, and now you are separating yourself from us. How can that be? How will we survive? What does our future look like? And they were grieving. And in the midst of all of that grief and painful emotion, they're asking, of course, the right questions. Because in their mind, they know exactly who Jesus is. They have watched him preach and teach on numerous occasions. They have watched thousands of lives being impacted by the gospel, transformed by his love. They have watched him conduct one miracle after another, after another. He is to them the very definition of who they are. They are disciples of Christ. And now he's leaving. And naturally, it is a painful and difficult time as he begins to speak to them. Are they anxious? Of course. Fretting? Rightly so. Even fearful? I imagine they are. When I listen to grief counselors and those who specialize in bereavement care, they will talk about the experience of people who go through a divorce. And that can be a long and difficult process where the person you once loved now says, in essence, I want to separate. I want to be distant from you. And all the hopes and dreams of a future have crumbled. And that can be a disorientating, painful process. I will also hear bereavement counselors talk in similar ways of those who have lost a job. 15 and 20 years with the same company. And suddenly, unexpectedly, they're let go. And again, all of their hopes and dreams for the future are no longer there. They're devastated. And you may be watching this morning, and in the last year or 18 months, you have lost a spouse, perhaps even a child. And the pain you have experienced was beyond anything you could have imagined. That's what happens in the midst of a grieving process. It is a painful, difficult time. Some of us have experienced similar thoughts and emotions over the last couple of weeks. When the government put in place a travel ban, then a state of emergency, schools were closed, all unnecessary travel come to a halt, parents sent home from jobs, 
the stock market and the economy being badly affected. And you're a little nervous, unsettled, even fearful. You're concerned about the future. You're asking similar questions to the disciples. What will become of us? What will the future hold? How are we going to make it through this? When will this end? Not only are those questions being asked across the nation, they're being asked across the world. And as Jesus speaks to his disciples that morning, he says something strange and odd. Look at the passage again. He tells them he is leaving. And then to reassure them in verse 7, he says this, But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Now, isn't that strange? Why would Jesus, who loves them more than anyone else in all the world, say to them, it's for your good I am going. It's for your good that I leave. I imagine the disciples had a hard time taking that in, processing that, thinking to themselves, Lord, how on earth could this be possible that your leaving would be good for us? And Jesus goes on to talk at some length about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And notice what he says. He says, unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, most of us understand what a counselor is. A counselor is someone who acts in your best interest. A counselor is someone who gets alongside you, hears what you've got to say, tries to walk beside you, tries to give you a direction to go. He leads and guides you. And when Jesus uses the word counselor, he's talking of the Holy Spirit. It's almost as if Jesus is taking them through this step by step by step, almost as if he is saying to them, please pay attention. I need you to understand the enormity of what's about to take place grasp the significance and the magnitude of this. Because, of course, what he's telling them is this, that the Holy Spirit will come. Not just an influence, not just a latent memory to linger in the background of how much they enjoyed the life of Jesus. So much more than an influence, so much more than a memory But the Holy Spirit himself, and the scriptures teach us this, that he is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Son. All of the attributes of divinity and deity, all of the love and grace and goodness of God, his power to transform, to resource to engage with us, to equip us, to enable us to be transformed on the inside comes from a deep abiding relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus himself understood that having taken on a human body as the Son of God, he was limited in what he could do. Isn't that a strange thing? We don't often think of Jesus being limited. But because he took on human form, Jesus could not be in the north of ancient Israel and Galilee and down south in Jericho at the same time. He couldn't be in Jerusalem and Nazareth at the same time. And even in his resurrected body, he's limited to where he can be. Still fully God, fully man, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father. But the Holy Spirit indwells the children of God from Australia to Austria, from Moscow to the Mississippi, and from the coming of the Holy Spirit that first day at Pentecost, Subsequent generations after generations, century after century, countless millions have felt his impact, the transformation he brings, but also his comforting presence and the enabling and equipping of his power in our lives. Because Jesus knew that we needed more than a memory more than an influence. We needed God himself to come and dwell within us and change us and renew us and refresh us and give us the power to live out our Christian faith. And it comes directly from the indwelling, enabling of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may be listening this morning and saying, Richard, Help me understand this passage in the sense that apply it to my life. I hear what you're saying about Jesus having to depart from the disciples. I hear what you're saying about the coming of the Holy Spirit. I think I got your point about his refreshing and renewing and resourcing us. But how does that help me when... My husband or my wife is spending more hours at home than they ever did. They're not able to go to their job. We are uncertain about future employment. How does that help me understand the education of my children or graduation for your teenage children, those in their 18 and 19 year old at college? How will, how will all of this speak into the real problems in face of us this morning? Because, I ha- Richard, I have to tell you, I'm scared. I'm concerned. I don't know what the future holds. And if you are anxious this morning and have been over the last few weeks, allow me to say this as gently and with great pastoral care. That in the midst of this crisis, when we feel hopeless and to some extent absolutely helpless because there's not much we can do to change it, we have some choices. And our first choice is to pray, of course. To pray for our national and local leaders. To pray for scientists and doctors, medical staff who are working around the clock to try and contain and eradicate this virus. And prayer matters. 
It is so much greater than we could ever imagine. Please be praying intentionally for our nation, for your family, for your friends, for those who are struggling, especially those with comp- who are struggling with health care issues where their immunity is compromised. Pray for them. And secondly, your next choice is entirely within your power. When uncertainty and fear come knocking at your soul, you are under no obligation to let them in. You don't have to be fearful. You don't have to be anxious. Now, I know it's hard, but you can train your heart and mind and soul and prayerfully say, Father, I will not give in. I will not surrender to fear. I will not give in to stagnation and the status quo, but I'm going to be proactive in the midst of all this. I am going to pray, and my focus will not be on the fear on the anxiety, the uncertainty. We need to be aware of them, but we have a healthy approach to them. And we say, Father, let us focus on what we can do. Help us, please, to care for those in our neighborhood who have very little. How can we step up and help? How do we reassure our children? How do we keep our focus on you? That's where the work of the Holy Spirit comes in. That's where the Holy Spirit brings comfort and peace. That's when he brings his presence and helps us as Christian people to be focused on faith rather than fear. Is it an empty faith somehow pie in the sky when you die? No, it's the very opposite. It's a practical daily faith that says, I will not surrender to uncertainty and fear, but Father, I will focus on you. And we focus on him. Why? How can we do that? Because Jesus says, when I send him, he will indwell. He will ignite courage. He will resource and strengthen you and build you up. And you're able to say amidst the fears and the uncertainties that your focus is on him. Earlier in our service, Our worship team led us in that new hymn. And it's one that we will sing when we gather back again in the weeks and months ahead. And it's entitled, He Will Hold Me Fast. And let me remind you of the words they sang. When I feel my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. And you can depend on him 
in the midst of anxiety, frustration, uncertainty, he has got you. Just as he has to the first century disciples and every Christian sin, he has us in the palm of his hand. He will not let you go. He will hold you fast. And as I wrap things up this morning, most of us, of course, are rightly being careful and prayerful. We are being responsible. We're keeping social distance or physical distance more accurately. We're washing our hands multiple times a day. Before Ruth lets me back into the house, she opens the door and gives me a quick once up and down to make sure and gives me the hand sanitizer, which I need to use. And of course, we are being careful. Because we're told that the coronavirus is highly contagious. Well, let me remind you of another power that is much more contagious. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. In the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul, talking of the coming of the Holy Spirit and the work he does in our lives, he says, these are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And when we live out our faith, when we are intentional about not living in fear, but fully submitted and surrendered to him, then the fruits of the Spirit manifest themselves in our lives. And when our spouse and our children and our neighbors see in our lives love, peace, joy, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control, then they see a faith that is valuable and significant. And may that be your prayer over these next few weeks together, that the Holy Spirit would grant to us a deeper abiding trust in him. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that amidst the uncertainty, the anxiety, or fear, that you, O God, would not only presence yourself in our homes, not only would you put your hand of protection upon us and our family and our nation, but that you would resource us, encourage us, strengthen us, that you would grant to us your enabling grace by the power of your Spirit. And Father, in those moments when we are tempted to surrender to fear, enable us, please, to focus on faith, to focus on your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.